The Evidence Locker is a true crime podcast that brings you cases from all the dark corners of the world. Armchair Sleuths can join me, your host, Noel Vinson, as I relay some of the most heinous crimes ever committed. If you are a true crime enthusiast, we've got you covered with cases both recent and historic from countries all around the world. From mysteries to heists, solved and unsolved murder cases, to stories about the miscarriage of justice, it's all there. With an archive of more than 170 episodes, make Evidence Locker your new binge. Subscribe to Evidence Locker today. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, a happy place for people who consider wine to be one of their five a day. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be your pilot today, along with James Winter, our trusted foodie navigator. Hi. And on today's show, dust off your whip and Indiana Jones hat as we are going food exploring, delving back into the mists of time to crack open the oldest surviving cookbook in the world, terms and conditions apply, and seeing what mysterious recipes it holds inside. Plus, we're going to be inventing some genuine geniuses to our dinner party. So without further ado, grab your holy grails and crystal skulls and let's take a journey to the centre of historic cooking. Hello, James. Hey, Jay. I, I imagine you have got an Indiana Jones whip in your cupboard. That's the kind of guy yes, I've of always, I, I imagine you are. <laughs> oh, yes. I rarely leave home without it. It's important on the tube to get the whip out and crack it a little bit. I think I'll be... Uh, that, always, that always strikes me as just sort of... Um, it's the same as lassoing when you see people doing it. It doesn't make any sense. Where, like, hold on. Where, where do you that? see people doing this? Just well, on telly. Oh, not, I, I don't hang out. At well, the, I know. The whip. I know you live in a much uh, more urban part of the world than me, and I wonder that's what you see on the streets of London, right? Of course. Well, yeah. Obviously, obviously, we have whipping on Tuesdays. Well, not just but whipping, just... but also just mo- using it to move from place to place, isn't it? You, you, you use it to hook onto a lamp post and and just move and just swing. Yeah. Uh, yes, and to pick up it's, things. It's not just it's for whipping. To do that. That's for Indiana no, Jones messages. It's, just... it's for life, right? <laughs> well, if there's someone who's going to know how to do that. This is a segue to our, our <laughs> guest host, <laughs> it's who's coming up now. Uh, we should get him in straight away because um, we're lucky to have him back. He's a regular on the show. He's Britain's finest food historian, according to us. And he has a catchphrase now. Do you remember, James, what the catchphrases you made up for him? Well, I've, I've, I thought I improved it a bit too, but you can't say Meltonville without saying mmm. And actually, <laughs> it's Mark Meltonville. He's a double mmm anyway. I mean, he is mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mark. <laughs> Um, he says vaguely stunned um, I will work on my catchphrases because that's that's not rolling off the tongue yet yeah uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very well thank you and uh, well yeah well now you're pushing through though you, mm. you're the reason you have a dusky voice today is because you're pushing through the covid barrier for the sake of us I am yes you are you are in currently uh, incubating covid inside you and isolating let's be let's be clear uh, with it oh, yes, totally it is isolating, isolating yes. and incubating yeah isolated <laughs> and and uh, covered in cooties yes <laughs> that's how i like to think of them well, i just have to sort of rinse the cooties off and then i'll be better <laughs> it's just the, it's the fact that you're prepared to come onto the podcast well, yeah, full absolutely. of the covid it's cuz my to help voice sounds so good when i've got a cold <laughs> that's it does, doesn't it <laughs> Go on, go on, give us a hello. It's, it's FM 103 yes. on there. <laughs> no, I can't do that. Hello, and welcome to the wonderful world of food. 
<laughs> he went a bit creepy towards the end. Yeah, that's all... the problem. That's the problem there. You see, it doesn't last. <laughs> now, before we get before we get on to the the main meal today, um, I know what you're both thinking. You're both thinking, Jay. It's been far too long since we invested anyone into our dream dinner party. Absolutely, it right. is clearly you know the the award winning. Uh, feature on our show, the Dream Dinner Party, where we ha- we we invest various different characters into it. And look, I know you, of course, both remember exactly who's already in it because it's you know a key part of a key part of your lives. But just to reiterate, who is already sitting at the table with us? We have Elvis with his fried peanut butter and nana sandwich. We have Pope Pius the Fourth, who brings Bartolomeo Scappi with him. We have uh, Montezuma with his spiced chocolate. We have Queen Victoria and her curry. We have Napoleon, who's bringing Carême and then buggering off early. We have Thomas Jefferson, who's bringing ice cream and port. We have Charlemagne and his cheese board. Uh, we have Frederick the Great, who's kindly bringing coffee and beer. Uh, we have Amelia Earhart, who's also bringing hot chocolate and boiled eggs. And Catherine the Great, who has a rather splendid dining table that we're going to to be eating off but we're not done yet chaps oh no i have some more i have some more offerings for you in the feature that never dies no, it's... <laughs> it's the sheer, i wish I, I wish our listeners could see the sheer enthusiasm <laughs> on your faces for Come this uh, okay well look there is one that it? does genuinely i think have to be in charles darwin right so we've all sort of heard that i mean obviously the the father of evolution but what lots of people may or may not know is he was a lunatic when it came to eating basically everything that moved and uh, I think that was one of his sort of credits he did eat everything that moved so while he was first formulating his theories um, he went hunting for deer Uh, he had caviar he had armadillo ostrich tuna turtle shark and barracuda barracuda which he called barracuda um, on his and and also he chewed on the hallucinogenic ava or ava plant. Um, so I think you know, in terms of people who should be in our dinner party, if there's someone who really really likes his food, it's Charles Darwin because all the animals he studied, he ate. Yeah. Basically. So to remind me of the uh, the rules of, of of invitation. Does he have to bring something with him? Ooh. I don't think so. I think, well, well, all, the, yes, all, no, all no. the other people have brought something with them to the table, right? But, uh, but Darwin's come to eat. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, it's a very good point, actually. He should bring something. He can't just bring sparkling conversation and, and some, you know, mm. groundbreaking theories on, <laughs> on everything. He needs to bring a dish as well. Do we want it? I'm not sure any of the things he ate we particularly want to have. Because, I mean, I wouldn't Ooh. mind trying the hallucinogenic ava plant. But I think I'm not the sure armadillo that's... quite quite appeals i mean mm. no, never tried that crunchy on the outside soft in the middle <laughs> <laughs> imagine doing it with that broad armadillo <laughs> all right charles in you come well yeah <laughs> okay keep him on the he, he's in the queue we also have uh galileo uh Ooh. who i think could possibly along with amelia Earhart, bring us a possibly boiled possibly not boiled egg bear with me uh, basically, he got into a an argument, an egg fight, with uh, a Jesuit priest, Orazio Grazzi, and they basically argued over whether spinning an egg round in the air, uh, the Grazzi believed the friction would make it hotter and basically cook it, and he cited Greek, uh, sorry, Babylonians whirling eggs in slings to cook wow. them. Wow. Meanwhile, Galileo said, no, you're an idiot. It'll cool <laughs> it down. <laughs> um and uh, they did. They had a they had a sling off <laughs> with the eggs with a raw egg, 
and obviously it didn't it didn't cook by being spun round <laughs> rapidly mm. uh, and then Galileo sort of doubled down by spinning a newly boiled egg and showed how it cooled off now the the principle of friction is there obviously because friction yeah. does heat stuff up but then the cooling motion would also cool it down but i did like this idea of babylon's whirling mm. eggs in slings to cook them have you ever heard of no. this, Mark? Oh, well, no, no this, this is brand new to me. I, I like the sound of that. I can see why Galileo's didn't work. No, I mean, there isn't enough <laughs> friction in whirling. In fact, it whirls around your head. It's called centrifugal force. There's no, it's just pushing yeah, it's the yolk to the outside. No, yeah. no, it's not going to work at all. And it's not going to cool it down that much. <laughs> it no, just doesn't but work. do we want him there just whirling eggs oh, at the back? I think so. I think that, that's what I want someone to bring to a party is an egg whirler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and don't forget, he, you know, he, he hails from, you know, the, that beautiful, part of northern Italy where the food is always magnificent so whatever he brings if it's the eggs and something or nothing it's going to be delicious he could bring some pasta with him just as an extra you know I mean he's he's from Florence right I mean it's it's, it's just you know you know it's going to enhance the qualities of everything on the table I think he'd be fabulous guest actually I think he'd be the sort of person you definitely want to have Come along to it. I think it'd be brilliant. Uh, final one, Isaac Newton. I mean, these are pretty good. We have to, I think we need to pick one of these. <laughs> apple um, pie. Bring an apple, yeah. It's just going to bring the apple. I, I found this on the ground outside. Yeah. Don't know how it got there. <laughs> well, well yes. maybe now. No. <laughs> now James has reiterated our criteria for entry. He probably doesn't get in because he is one of those fantastic people who I think we've all probably met at some point where basically he was so far away with genius thoughts that he sort of completely forgot to, to do actually do any eating. So once his maid found him standing over a boiling pot in which he'd put his watch and was holding the egg to time it, basically. <laughs> so he'd completely got it the wrong way around because he was so far away on thoughts. And one of his mates came around one night to have dinner and he found um, Newton standing sort of in deep reverie looking out the window. And he thought, well, better not disturb him. He's coming up with genius thoughts. So he went and ate dinner. And then eventually Newton woke up and sort of realised, oh, hello. And he saw the empty plates and he was like, he, he said, well... If it wasn't for the proof before my eyes, I could have sworn I hadn't yet eaten dinner. So he didn't even realise he hadn't eaten. A, so, uh, a, now that is a cheap guest. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think he comes in on that one. You go, good morning, Mr. Newton. Uh, did you enjoy that? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Very true. Here's an apple. Yeah. So um, are we investing any of these guys in it? We had, we had um, I'm, Newton, who's not bringing anything, maybe an apple. No, we've got uh, Darwin, who's going to bring an armadillo. And we've got Galileo, who's going to be slinging eggs around. It's difficult, isn't it? For me, it's between God. the armadillo and the egg, really, for me. Yeah, and I, yeah. I'm thinking of the ambience and the, just the general bon viveur of the room. And I've, I've just got a feeling that Darwin's quite tough, tough to to get to know and I'd I imagine, all, wouldn't you? And, and I've heard that Newton was pretty tough yeah, as a person he was quite unpleasant and difficult to be around you know um because you know, he's a genius and why should he you know lower his uh, the conversational <laughs> level to the likes of us James be honest <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying about well I'm, I'm just thinking you know it, it, it could it, you know I'd I think you know Galileo is going to maybe add some some interest. I like the idea of Galileo. Yeah. I think Galileo's in. I think sorry, I'm sorry, other chaps. I mean, <laughs> Newton won't even realise he hasn't come anyway. And Darwin and his armadillo, he can go and have that. He'll eat anything anyway. So he's not going to be that. He's, he's not going to be that into it. No. Old Charlemagne coming out with his cheese board. Well, this and is it. Just Darwin be like whatever. So yeah, yeah. okay, fine. <laughs> I think that's the right call. I think Galileo is in. But that's the thing. Now, now, now the dinner table is getting more packed. The How many people coming. are there now? Come on. Oh God! Uh, one, Just thinking of a food ordering, Jay. Got to go. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I think we're up to twelve people. Wow. That's quite good. It's a good That's table. a lot, isn't it? That's all right. 
That's a big. I think. What are you suggesting that we possibly? Uh, no, I'm just finish this item at some point in the next <laughs> no, never. next year. <laughs> never, never, it should no. never done. Well, okay. So let's let's leave behind that, and we are now going to move on to the completely misrepresented. But the thing I said at the start, which is, Mark has been, even though he's got the COVID, he's been out there exploring <laughs> into like the Ark of the Covenant, and he has dusted off uh, the oldest cookbook. <laughs> Known to humanity, uh, or as you defined it, <laughs> what actually is it? Well, you, you kept going on about how we're going to do a show about the oldest cookbook in the world because that does sound rather good. And yeah. I have no idea what that one is, and I bet it's Chinese because they were writing <laughs> things down when we're still banging sticks together, let's face it. <laughs> so, the oldest cookbook in the world will have to park on the bookshelves of history for a little bit what yes. i wanted to talk about is something that i've been talking about in my work just lately which is the so far because historians will never give you a definite so far the oldest cookery book written in the english language oh. Oh, and okay. that's, that's something that's i good. get asked about a lot mm. when whenever i'm giving lectures someone will stand up and go okay then what's the oldest cookery book that we have that we can say is from the UK and written in English, not Latin. I can go back into texts right back to the Norman times, and they're, they're book they're written in what's called book Latin because that's what people wrote in. But where is the oldest book that we could look at and say, yes, that's that's English, not Latin, and that is a book put together in England for us to cook from? Ooh, can we take a guess on the year? You can. Have you got any thoughts? Do you know this, James? No, really? not really. No, 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 no. Well, apart oldest from cook in English, though, in English, in English. So, I mean, and Mark was saying to me, I was talking to him this week, and he was saying we would not understand what people were saying in old English anyway. No, I mean, it's not in old English. It's okay, in mid, it's in Middle English. Middle English. Sixteen, sixteen ninety-five. Yeah, I mean, I would be looking at the fifteen, sixteen hundreds, but I don't know by language. Okay. It's not. I don't right. know where we'd be. Go on, Mark. Go on. You're, you're pushing into Renaissance English by then, which is a little bit different. You're heading into Shakespeare. Um, the book is called The Form of Curie. Ah, of course. And ah, it I've is, heard of this. And, and it's, this is why I want to talk about it, because it's actually got quite a lot of press out there, and it's got a lot of things written about it. You can download it. I recommend people use translations to have a go at it. But it's also picked up a few myths along the way that we can we can discuss. And The Form of Curie is supposedly written about 1390, oh. compiled sometime around then, because we know from in the what would be called the introduction, it talks about how it was written for a king. So we know it's an English king's cookery book because it says it was compiled by the cooks and physicians to King Richard II. So it is definitely English from an English court, it's written in English, and it's not a book. <laughs> because it's actually what's called a manuscript roll, because they aren't binding them like oh, that I yet. See. So, oh, interesting. So, <laughs> so is it, it, it when you say a manuscript roll, so yeah, it's, it's not a it's, scroll? No, it's not a scroll, but it's, it's a roll of manuscripts. There are um, 96 recipes in there. Several of them are repeated several times, and that's all that's in there. So compared with older books where there's all sorts of stuff about how you run a court and where you go and who, who pays what for what, and then there's a few recipes popped into this manuscript this one is the first one where start to finish it's recipes it's things you can cook and as i said they're written in english and it is described as a roll of manuscripts it's a, it's a pack of where was it found do you know when and Ooh, how it was found yes that to me is just just as interesting because you know it was it says in the introduction which is not what they call it that it was put together for richard the second 
it also appears to have been given to Elizabeth I as a present. Cool, bet it. This is cool. Because when she gets given this manuscript, possibly bound by then, someone might have put covers onto it, it's already nearly 200 years old. So she, wow. so she does that. She goes, oh, cool, a really old cookbook. <laughs> I quite like that. She might have been able to more easily read the English in it. So already, by the time you get to Elizabeth I, this is being traded as a valuable old book. Wow. Yeah, it bounces around probably in the in the royal archives. It supposedly belonged to the Earl of Oxford for a while as well. So it's it, it was obviously a valuable manuscript that people thought, oh, it looks good in my collection. I'll I'll have that and and show people. It was a curio, mm. and it turns up um, being studied a little bit later, about seventeen eighty. So what is it? Uh, it's a, it's a good three hundred years old by then, and a uh, it's it's belongs to a sort of antiquarian. Um, at the British Museum, a man called Gustavus Brander, and he owns this manuscript, which eventually gets given to the to, uh, to the library, and he commissions a man called Samuel Pegg, and he publishes it. So we have a 1780 version ah. of a book from 1390, and it's that copy that I, I look through quite a lot, because he's gone through the entire thing, and he's made his own notes. But what's fascinating for me is he's talking from a Georgian point of view about how he sees these things. So he gets, oh, something, he gets some things right, he gets some things wrong. Um, one of the things that gets published about this book is it's the first mention of rice in Britain. It's the first mention of olive oil in Britain. It's the first mention of... Uh, well, it's the first mention of everything. It's the oldest book we've got. <laughs> <laughs> I can't quite see why that gets published so often. And if we find another one from 10 years before, that will be the first mention of olive oil. It is interesting that it is so pan-European, and we would expect that from a mm. court cookery book. It has items in it from around Britain and around Europe. It has almonds in it. Um, a lot of the recipes which involve cooking in milk, say, or almond milk, if you want. How vegan is that? Oh, <laughs> so that was a thing then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people were looking at this the other day and going, but it says you can use almond milk if you don't want to use cow milk. Yep. So wait, so this is Richard. This was written for Richard the Second. It's for it? his court. It's. I mean, the king doesn't. Where's he living? Where? where what, uh, he's what? moving around, but he's mostly down at Westminster uh, Palace in London. But he moves about from court to court. And quite uh, grand. Do we? Th are we oh, very, it's... very grand. This is uh, uh, the opening part of the book. Tries to tell you that uh, that this has been written to explain both the extravagant dishes of banquets and common dishes in equal measure but it's actually not that i mean there are a few vegetable dishes in there but mostly this is uh, recipes that are going to grace royal feasts these are rather nicely done fairly extravagant uh, pieces that uh, that are filled with the um, items from around europe that are going to cost money mm. i mean you have to have in uh, olive oil shipped up from uh, from the Mediterranean, uh, I've got a list of it. And do we know within if, it, before you go on? Just do, do we know if people use this cookbook, or was it just an item of, of uh, curio and value? Do we? Is there any evidence? Of, yeah, you've got no idea what it was used for once it started to become a traded. You know, look what I have in my library. It is possible, and this is because the bit I mentioned at the start, it was compiled. I didn't say by the cooks of Richard II. I said the cooks and physicians, and that's because at this time and for quite a long time to come cookery is part of medicine it comes under really? the medical comes under the medical arts because you me and uh, james are made up of four humors the humoric system and our humors must be in balance mine are out of balance at the moment that's why i got sick and when my humans are rebalanced i'll be fine again 
And if I went to is this your d- exclusive to Isagato? Is this yes. your way you're getting around that? <laughs> get my humours back in balance. Yeah, once you get humours. And so you could be too hot or too cold or too sanguine. Um, and you need to, uh, or too dry. And so the food you have throughout your daily diet needs to keep your humours in balance. And you mustn't eat things that are too hot, um, too cold, too much huh. in, in one, on one side or the other. So the, because it's been put together by the physicians and the cooks, it's possible that the original idea of this volume was to be used within the court because no one person runs a court. The king's just sat upstairs waiting for dinner. But those who run the household, the comptrollers, the clerks, maybe it was a discussion item. Uh, or it might have been as simple as um, it allows some of the clerks to read it and go, look, we've been having that dish for weeks. Isn't there something else you can do? <laughs> Is <laughs> look, that what been... the name means? Like a form of cure? Right. Oh, yes, we haven't told you what. Form means uh, shape still already. Yeah. The shape or the way or the design of something. Of and curie means uh, to cook. So it's the way of cooking oh, or how to cook. That's all oh, it means. Oh, and fine. that's the problem with uh, Middle English. When someone actually reads it, you go, oh, is that what it says? <laughs> it's uh, just a different different way of uh, uh, of putting it. Uh, when it was looked at by uh, people who study language, apparently it comes from the, they, all they could tell immediately without the frontispiece is it's from the south of England. South, south, east, by the... By the accents in the words, because it's phonetic. Do we know, I mean, was this quite an unusual thing to, to have published in this form? I mean, are there, after uh, this first, are there now hundreds of books on cooking? No, produced? no, they, now we're here to the, my, my greatest um, comment about archaeology being the science of chance. We have no idea how many manuscripts like this from centuries before have been lost to us in fires, in, uh, you know, is there a huge raft of Anglo-Saxon cookery that was burnt in a library by Vikings sacking a monastery? We just don't know. And Mm. the simple rule is that the more further back you go, the less you get that survives. So we're down to one or two books from the 14th century, Uh, 15th century, you're suddenly getting to about four or five. And then as you go into printing, it starts increasing to eight, twenty-eight. It, it just goes up and up. Well, that's and the up. point with this. This was all handwritten, right? So yeah, this is a, this is a handwritten manuscript, anyway. and any copy has to be copied. Uh, and that's Lord, one of the problems we have when we get one copy of something: is um, you you get quite a lot of transcription errors mm. in in manuscript books. The poor little person writing it out probably doesn't care very much about what's in there and not in form and curie but in other books that i've looked at uh, an entire paragraph is repeated because the person's missed his place and done just written it again or written a line again um, <laughs> i love the idea they have my level of sort of yes it's very very <laughs> low when it comes to writing that's fantastic it. and and so uh there was something that we were trying to study last year uh, which was really confusing to people. It's to do with weights and measures and how much olive oil weighed and how much uh, wine weighed, and it wasn't working. Um, it's a 10th century document. And the problem is there's no other copy. We just, we got to a point where we can go no further yeah. because this document is unique, and if there's an error in it, we've nothing to compare it with. So, um, And so did they luckily, use weights and measures like we recognise? Obviously, we've got metric, no. but we wouldn't, can we work out what they mean from reading the text? You do, but they don't tend to use them in recipes. Right. You do get, you do get. Sometimes you'll get an ounce, you'll get a pound, if if they want, you'll get a pint. Um, but you also get measurements like dishes, which is oh, right. apparently a, a set dairy measure 
for for butter and so on. So there are measurements we don't know. But mostly, these recipes are what I would call aid memoir for cooks. So they yes, are to written, jog their own memories. They are, right? are written, more like, are written, don't forget how he made that. Yeah, you can cook. You pop in there. You go. Oh, what was that one with the onions and the pork? Look it up, and. Um, for instance there's one in there that's you know to make pies it tells you first thing to do is make pastry it doesn't tell you how you're a cook you don't (laughs) need to tell them how to do the things it is simply uh, a list of ingredients and sometimes uh, an order sometimes not the order and maybe a few little instructions of well you do this and you do that they're just to remind you what Um, did you think when you as a food historian when you first saw this and started thumbing through it what did you what struck you about it what did you feel when you were reading this i think you start off with incomprehensible then you get very excited because you start being able to read some of it then you get obsessed by the things that are both um completely odd and completely different and then it sort of settles down into a familiarity of oh well this is actually very much like the things we eat today um i'm going to give you one here we are uh, it's it's called lozenges, so we're already a bit lost. Lozenges. Yeah. Lozenges now, that, is like throat sweet. It could it? be sweet. Well, that's because it's uh, a reference to the shape. Mm. A lozenge is like a... Tri- um, an oval, isn't it? Uh, a diamond shape. Oh. I thought... oh so lozenges are diamond shapes. Okay, so oh, we're making diamond shape some things. I'm okay. going to paraphrase this because we don't need a, an hour-long lecture in Middle <laughs> English. <laughs> but it, what it does is it tells you to take uh, fine white flour, are you? Is this what it said? Are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it at the moment. Yeah, uh, take fine white flour and make a paste out of that with water. So to make it, make it into flour and water paste. Yeah. Um, are there anything to go in there? Oh yeah, season, season that slightly, uh, which means you can put some salt in there and and uh, various other things. Anything, anything you want. Now, once you've made a paste, it's obviously not going to be too wet because it wants you to roll it out. And it says here, um, thin as foils. Now, they'll know the term foil because they use um, foil for uh, gold leaf and metal foils for wrapping. So it basically means really thin. Yeah, so reading th- that, as in tin so, foil. Yeah, roll it, now we think of that. So roll it out into foils with a roller, it's saying. Oh, that's good. Cut it into your lozenges. So you've got flour and water, seasoned flour and water paste cut into lozenge shapes. Dry them hard. Hello. Okay. I, I think we're getting, to, we're getting towards pasta here, aren't we? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Once they're hard... Boil it in uh, in broth, so boil it in stock rather than water till they go soft. Serve with cheese well grated. <laughs> so it's just that's sp- spaghetti. That's past- or- that's well, well, it's, um, well, pasta would have an egg in, right? Yeah, so, I mean, it, but yeah. this is this is basically flour, a type of pasta with um, so served more with like a noodle. And cheese. How do we make yeah. noodles? Isn't it just noodle mixture? Yeah, so yeah. it's very similar. So it's is thirteen ninety, and you basically got a student's pasta with cheese coming <laughs> coming at you there. And there's a few people have written something about this. All oh, this obviously says that um, it must be Italian Served influence with beans. in this book. Sorry, um, and and the answer is well, why? I can yeah. only think of two nations in the world historically that don't have a a, a flower. Mm. One's one's one of the Polynesian islands. The other one's the Inuit, who have rocks and seals. Um, everybody else has flour of some sort of grain, and so every nation that has flour grinds it up, mixes it with a liquid, and either bakes it as flatbread or makes a paste. Or to, so it's impossible to say that this is. Oh, look, we have Italian pasta. We just have a dish like pasta in England. Mm. That's and it, isn't the, it? Because you look yeah. at that and you reverse engineer it with your modern yeah. thinking. And oh, it's the same someone the must others. have visited. Yeah, but it's that. the same with the others. There's um, the, you know, the other dishes. It doesn't mean they've been anywhere, but it does mean that there is a pan-European idea of food because these books when you look at german books french books spanish books they're very very similar and it also shows a very high um 
trade across Europe. I mean, here's one I wouldn't expect in there. Uh, rice as a side dish. Yeah, this, this, this has been <laughs> so obviously it's, imported. Yeah, so it's been imported. Uh, it's going to be either Spain, Spain or Italy. They're bringing their rice up for there. So this is why it's in a royal cookbook, because it's quite expensive. You've got That's to get exotic, bag, of, yeah. bag of rice all the way up there. And what do they make out of it? Again, we're going to keep saying the date. This is 1390. Um, they call this rice of or in flesh. They take the rice. It tells you to wash it, so you have to clean it. Uh, put it into a pot and uh, cook it down with uh, stock again until it's um, soaked it all up. Add a little saffron and salt and serve it. It's a risotto. Lovely. <laughs> Sounds good. Egg, fr- egg fried rice there. No, was, yeah, this no, is... no it's, it's simply a risotto. So there, there's, uh, there's. Oh, go there. on, give us another one. This is oh. This is amazing. Well, one of my favourites is called fillets in Galantine. So fillet just means a piece of meat. Galantine's going to be the sauce. This is leftovers. Tells you to take some roasted pork that you've got left over, um, cut it into thick slices. So you, you've got half a bit of roast pork left over. Cut it into thick slices. Now, in a, in a pot, you want to put uh, more stock, a load of crusts of bread, put, uh, crush all this down. Um, they use a mortar a lot. Now, there's certain tools that keep coming up in this. A knife t- to, to chop things, a mortar to grind things, because, of course, they haven't got a food processor, so they're crushing with a mortar. And the That's other one interesting, because that- we were speaking about Mexican food last week on the pod. Uh, sorry, week week before last, and that's very relevant in that, and it feels like it's been lost in our cooking. Yes, we don't ours really is there. Use it well, very much we've gone on. So you've got a mortar. You need a mortar to grind or to to make anything to a paste. Graters for dried bread. So any dried bread from yesterday's table is going straight back into thick and everything. And the other one that gets mentioned an awful lot of times is a colander. And the colander gets mentioned saying, um, uh, pass it through a colander, or they use the word strainer, quite interestingly written, um, three or four times. And you think, why, why do I need to strain it? It's to blend. If you put something through a strainer three or four times to make it go through the holes, you end up making a really good blend. Like so, it's, oh, like it's a food a, processor. It's a pottery blender. So they have the same tools as us. So we'll go back to that pork. Basically, wants you to cook those pork in beef stock, which has got some breadcrumbs to thicken, uh, and fried onions in there. So you make quite a thick stew. Uh, cook it down till it goes thick, and then to serve it, uh, it's got some. It's some. Oh, well, let's have a look here. How many uh, different spices we got? Um, a good portion of pepper, and parsley, hyssop, uh, oh, and some red wine. Red wine to to flavour the stock. Cause they tend to put things in all sorts of orders because this is for chefs, so it doesn't tell you to do this at the start. You have to look down to the end. It's also got a few raisins in there. It's getting very um, mm. Mediterranean. Mm. Exotic, yeah. Uh, it says they're raisins, which means they're probably French. They use two words for raisins. They'll either say raisins or raisins of Corinth, which is the Italian ones. We've shortened raisins of Corinth to current nowadays. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And the I'm, difference... Uh, cur- just, yeah, one, one is, is just where they come from, right? Yeah, it's just... Like, yeah, currents come from is oil-dried, yeah, raisins uh, is sun-dried. Raisins sun-dried, and um, raisins from Corinth are Italian ones. <laughs> so it's, uh, and that's where currants come from. Huh. So we've got all of those down, and the bit I like best is just when you think it's thick enough, so it's got the wine, the gravy, the cooked pork, the pork's starting to fall apart, it's thickened with bread, and it tells you to put a dash of vinegar in to serve it. 
and it's got all of those flavours together. Ooh. It's got the sweetness of the onions, it's got the ho- the spices, it's got the sweetness of the raisins. It's got. The Have broth. you made that? Have all, you made uh, that? Many times. <laughs> that's really? A, that's a oh, go-to great. on a Monday with a, an old cold, uh, cold roast pork. I, I think, oh, it's fillets in Galentine Day. <laughs> this is fabulous that mm. you're you're making these regularly anyway, and they taste that tastes great, does it? That just tastes like a really nice. It's stew. a really good stew on a on a on a cold old Monday evening. It's it's brilliant. Mm. Uh, oh, we have, amazing. of course, the uh, the ability to put some mashed potato with it, which they were not up to yet. <laughs> and so, so it's, a, it's a, it. well, it's a, I mean, I'm interesting. It's a, so obviously, it's a section on meat cookery itself, or it does meat appear ready cooked? And I was going to ask you about things like potato and things that we see as staples today. No, there's, um, there's no potato, mention of potato, these. So potato, you, no, there's nothing, nothing American in there. So no potatoes, no corn in the form of sweet corn. Uh, none of the kidney beans. Of the the uh, South American pulses, no potato, or anything yet. There's well, this is pre. Okay. Was it uh, pre-Columbian, as yes, they call it? Yeah, Walter Raleigh, <laughs> and was it potato? Was he yeah. potatoes? He did something with a potato. He probably took one to Ireland. We won't go into that. That's a show in itself. Oh. <laughs> Do we have tea? Is uh, there any no, tea? no, no tea, no coffee, no, tea, no, coffee, no, no chocolate. No, it's, no, no chocolate. No, oh, no. all of these are missing. Um, oh, no. What about carrots? <laughs> what about carrots? They do get mentioned. Uh, they're also multicoloured still. Mm, okay. Carrots. Now they've come back as multicoloured. Yeah, like purple we, ones. I've been but, seeing. Yeah, and purple no, ones. And tomatoes, uh, obviously. No, no, tom- no tomatoes. No, no, because there's they're related mm. to the potato. They're the same plants, potatoes. The so we've got leeks. We got leeks. We have leeks. We have, no broccoli because well, that wasn't invented. Here, here we are. Mm. Aquapatis. Now this What's is an that? English cookbook. It's um, boiled garlic. Ooh. It says peel garlic, put it into a pot of water and a little oil, boil it up. Uh, add saffron and salt and some quite strong pepper and let it cook down to the garlic pieces. Of it. It, so this is um, garlic cloves mm. cooked down in saffron, oil and salt uh, and water until they're soft and just put them on as a side dish. It, As, as a lot of people know, if you cook um, cloves of garlic down that, it takes the fireiness out of them. Sounds delicious. And, and, and they're, they're lovely and they're golden yellow from the saffron. And so we saffron at this stage, I mean, obviously now we imagine it as one of the world's most expensive mm. things, but obviously it's more accessible. It's accessible because it grows all over England. Uh, it's the autumn crocus and it's coming out of, here it comes, oh, saffron, so more, saffron Walden. Really? Is that yeah. really why? Never. Or, or Croydon is another one. That's for the root word of Croydon is crocus. Is it really? So, wow. Yes. So, so there so, are plenty of places in Britain. It's never been super cheap because it takes a lot of poor people to pick the, the tiny, yeah. tiny three stamens. Oh, it's amazingly but, complicated. But we right? don't so, produce uh, it anymore, right? I'm no, not going mad. No, we, now... we, we, we've run out of people who'll pick it. Is the polite way. Of so we, at we it. could grow it. It's, oh yes. it, yeah. yeah. There's no, a no, pod idea. Let's 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 get you know. If this yeah, doesn't work, Jay, work. let's make smoke saffron. <laughs> I think it'd be great. Good pay for the Ford, finally. That'd be brilliant. Right, let's get saffron molten yeah. on that. Two, two things to give you. Right, another um, one that everyone goes, oh, hmm. that, that's not what I expect. And you've got to throw in at the end a, go on, tell me something ridiculous, because it's got to be ridiculous. There are so many recipes. I There's 96. There's all different sorts. What they miss out is the simplistic. They're not going to tell you how to roast a piece of meat. They're not going to tell you how to boil a chicken, because these are all the things you can do. So you have to add all of those in. They're not going to tell you about the simple recipes, although there is a recipe for mushrooms, which means they're not that common possibly not that common at court to bother to tell you how to to um, dice and clean mushrooms they are a little concerned with with That's possible toxins if it's in there if it's in there it there, means it, that it's it's going to be complicated if it's not oh, there well, it's, it doesn't it's exist it's worth reminding just, yes yeah. uh, the, so most of the simple stuff is 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 missed out with the exception of this one it's called a salad and of course it's for summer 
Is it and, a salad? Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it's got an awful lot in it, though. It's got parsley, sage, green garlic, so young garlic. Um, they use the word scallion already, um, so um, uh, spring onions. Uh, lettuce, leek, spinach, borage, mint, primrose flowers, violet flowers. Some oh. Another form of green onion called a porret, but I don't know if we eat that anymore. Some fennel, some garden cress, some rue, some rosemary, purslane. And all of those go into one bowl. Rinse them clean, peel anything that's got a hard stem. It says, tear into small pieces with your hand and mix well with oil, vinegar and salt. Oh, so it's got a little vinaigrette on as well. Yeah. What a complicated salad as well. It's got so much in there. Yeah, it's over 14 things in it. And I'm sure we could go to some hired restaurants today and they'll be going, oh, there's 12 things in our salad. I say, yeah, we've always had that. I imagine these these, (laughs) these, these kingly courts would have quite a nice walled garden, though, for them to... For the small from. things like that, uh, for larger stuff, no, they don't. They don't grow anything. That's part of being kingly or dukely or earl-like is to not grow your food. But there's always the salad garden and the herb garden and, and the smaller there's stuff. A peasant to subjugate if you need to get something off them as well. You could always go and give them a, a wallop with a sword and get them, give you the salad. We're going to have to go out with something that's. Uh, yeah, we've, oh, what I've just done is shown that there's all sorts of good things to eat in here. I've tried many. Uh, we could cook from this, from all the rabbit dishes, lamb dishes, and all that sort of stuff. It's all, all pretty good. It's very Mediterranean. A lot of sweet and sour taste. They love sweet and sour together. In fact, one of their sauces is called Aigre Dance. Now, Aigre is the second half of the word we use for vinegar, which is wine sour. Vin, Aigre. So it's sour. First, and Dance is du in modern French. So soft or sweet. So the sauce is called sweet and sour sauce. Um, I love the idea these guys are basically students. Oh yeah, they are, yeah. But as I said, let's go for something. And I I, I thought, what what could I run through and find that we're going to go, actually, that's a step too far and possibly illegal. Um, (laughs) I mean, the watchword of your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Says it on the write-up, possibly illegal. (laughs) Frumenti, which is a type of sauce that usually has a grain in it, usually wheat to go with porpoise <laughs> so oh. it's <laughs> yes we've we've crossed the line there where are they so getting it, porpoises from well they're in the sea and if it's in the sea it's fair game <laughs> so this is a sauce for dolphin <laughs> and i thought yep yeah, yeah doesn't don't care what's in this sauce and it's almonds and and wheat and lots of spices and so on and it tells you how to cook it and then bring it up and then Pour it on your porpoise before you serve it. Well, there's, no, that's what you, that's the no. dish for Darwin, right? So that's what you yeah, need that to... that could be a dish for Darwin. Um, <laughs> that's the trouble. If you can invite him, he'll keep turning up with stuff like that. He'll like, oh, yeah, no, so, sorry, right, Charles. So, so uh, the idea of a dolphin on a spit is not going to go down well, and I don't think we want to do that anywhere. So it has got mostly things that we'd, we'd give a go, but there's there's a few left-field things out there as well. Do you have any of it... Because uh, you, you've translated this when you've explained this. Do you have any little bits of it there where you can read and actually how it's written? Or is it oh. unintelligible? Oh, it's very difficult. Hang on. Uh, uh, most of it makes sense. Yeah, it, it's the problem is when you read them out loud, it does make sense. This is one of my favourites called Rishuis, which is an English corruption of the Portuguese word Rizole, and it means small crescent. So a bit like a croissant. In fact, the same word as croissant. And the Rishui of fruit. But I've just translated fruit. It's spelled F. R-U-Y-T, but you say it, fruit. Yeah. So uh, most of this is just going to, as I say them, I take away the oddness. Uh, take figs and raisins, pike he and wash he in win. <laughs> uh, to pike is to pick, so you pick out, uh, to take raisins and take the seeds out, wash the raisins and add them to wine. Grind he with apple and pear. 
e prepared. Uh, that's apple and pear. E, e, anything that begins with a Y means you've done it. E prepared means you've cut them up. So it says take, um, uh, mince that up with apples and pear that you've already cut. <laughs> Add, uh, do unto good padres. Add um, spices and pepper and things. Um, make a ball thereof. Uh, I think I get because their their office spelt with three letters, but it's got an abbreviation <laughs> about it. So you've made a paste of um, of figs, raisins, and uh, apples and pear, all pressed up with with spice, and then it tells you to make these little balls and fry in oil and serve he forth. Well, fry them, in, fry them up, and put them on the table. That's good. <laughs> I have to say, Mark, with your co- with your COVID voice and reading in that old-fashioned word, you could make it like a spoken word. Well, that's what I thought. I'd, I'd I, don't, buy that. I was thinking the Amazon audiobook version is surely <laughs> just around the corner now. If you're listening, Mark reads old recipes in a sort yeah. of slightly Scottish yeah, accent. Well, you yeah. sounded like you were speaking in a Scottish that's accent. The, then almost that, that's the, that must be the disease speaking. <laughs> <laughs> But you said they write this phonetically as their yeah. accent, right? And the big problem, one of the first things I was taught when I was doing this was when you look at these things and you can't read them, read them out aloud. And mm. I think the biggest moment um, for me on that, you, it was the word, there was two words on a on a recipe and it said tog was the first word and the second word was edres. And you have to read them together. It's together. <laughs> mix it together. Because that's how the bloke must have said, you know, mix it together is... And then do this. And it's this reading out loud. I'm um, looking at one here. It tells me to take uh, uh, take hens or other conies, other veal, other other flesh. Which when you take that, take hen, which is chicken, or um, rabbit, or veal, or anything else, and <laughs> hew them into gobbets, which... Again, you just, have to, you just have to know the gobbets means a lump. And chop. So the sentence, once you've read it, is take me and chop it up. Yeah. <laughs> but it's learning that language. Mm. You do need a small grounding in Old French. There's a lot of Old French in here. A uh, little bit of German doesn't help because they uh, a lot of our root words are still Germanic. So mm. there'll, there'll be, uh, be words in here from, from the German. But a good pack of dictionaries and, and uh, standing up in the quietness of your office and reading them aloud to yourself usually <laughs> gets you through. If you strode into this kitchen in 1390, yeah. yeah. if you walked in there, would you understand a word anybody was saying? Oh, a blessed clue, I reckon. Really? It would uh, be like a completely different language. Uh, the speed at which they spoke, because we don't speak slowly, the speed at which they spoke and their regional accent, we know they're everywhere. Uh, their regional accent would mean that it would it would be like walking into a foreign foreign language. But how many people have walked into a modern, maybe a French-inspired or French-trained kitchen and can only just extend, understand what people are shouting? They're using a mixture of French, English and Italian at each other. They're using terms that aren't familiar to you, which mean exactly something. There'll be, um, I mean, you, you walk into kitchens at the moment, they're all talking about the Josper. And unless you know what that is, that it's a charcoal grill, it, it, it becomes the language of every trade. Yeah, yeah. Every trade has its secret language and you'd, you'd have no end of problems. And it's interesting because as you're talking, I'm thinking obviously a lot of the learning and, and teaching, in, certainly in kitchens, is orally led. It's an oral history, which we've, we've captured here as some kind of transcription. must have been read out loud as someone transcribed it, right? I mean, it feels yeah. like it wasn't one man sat alone you with a quill. You presume so. Somebody pre- was pacing around shouting instructions to yeah. somebody writing it down. And that's the beginning of... Of, of of where we've got to and you you pass that through all the various lenses from Karem to Escoffier and all the great people that started to recodify and we end up where we are today with a 
you know, a transcribed... Which is probably why you get so many things where it tells you what to do halfway through at the end, because he's just thought of it. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Exactly. Oh, don't forget <laughs> yeah. to put it in wine. I forgot yeah, put, to say put, that. Put, put it in, in wine, wine. <laughs> or, or I'll add, oh, and add this and so on. So you get. And you haven't got that. copy and paste back then when you're doing it on a scroll, have you? You can't go, oh, I better stick that in the middle of it. Also, I'd, I'd be really interested. To, we got lucky enough to have lots of listeners who are either chefs or passionate sort of amateur cooks. And obviously, trying historical recipes has become you know a big part of lots of restaurants you know modern trade i mean like we've spoken about you know dinner by heston in, in knightsbridge you know that obviously a lot of those recipes are historically inspired we would love to hear if you've had any experiments not just with this these, these recipes but any recipes from uh the olden days which is obviously a true historical term at journey to the center of food on instagram or journey to the center of food at gmail.com please and obviously while you're there please subscribe and leave nice comments for us or nasty comments whichever you prefer on uh on itunes or wherever you get your podcast from but yeah we'd we'd, we'd love to hear if you've had any experiments like mark has trying these um yeah Richard the second successful or unsuccessful i don't think oh, it yeah. matters no, no, yeah, it's no. all yeah. learning it's all learning i know mm. When it goes horribly wrong and we stare at this puddle on the floor, we think, look how much we've learned. <laughs> <laughs> this is very, I find this genuinely fascinating, Mark. The idea that it just feels so, I mean, you're obviously a wonderful conduit for these historical things because you do translate them and make them understandable. And But there is this feeling that we are reaching across the centuries and it is just like you've always said, everyone's kind of the same and the food yes. is something we'd all recognise and quite enjoy and I, I would, I would, God, I would love to go and sit down at that table and just try some of that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. And see how I, I, much of it. Apart from the porpoise, I'm not mad keen on that. No, we don't um, know. Yeah, well, I mean, it could be delicious, right? Oh, James. <laughs> oh, oh, you and Charles Darwin. Well, we have got a, the tagline is possibly illegal now, so. <laughs> Not possibly. <laughs> not, not say, not, not you can't say you can't say Mark Melterville without saying mmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say Mark Melterville without saying porpoise. Porpoise on a spit. <laughs> no, nope, still not happy with that. As I, yeah. I'll, we'll work on my uh, my catchphrases. <laughs> Mark, thank you as ever. This has been another joyous step back in time. You are the Doc Brown. Thank you very uh, much. to our to our Martin McFly's. Um, it has been brilliant. Thank you ever so much. I really appreciate that. And um, cheers. James, what a lovely journey back in. Oh, wonderful. This is wonderful. And obviously, if anyone listening, look, Mark, I'm going to ma- I'll make an offer on your behalf. Got questions <laughs> about history and food history. Mm. We'd love to hear them. And, and I'm sure Mark will do his very best to, to uncover a few things or he might know whatever. You know, it might lead yeah. us down some really interesting avenues because you know, history is a really, you know, it's an untapped, incredible resource, you know, that, that Mark guides us into. And, and if you've got ways that you want to explore it yourselves, you know, as you listen along, let us know. Always, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, fabulous. Oh, until we next travel back in time in our uh, in our phone booth, uh, we will see you soon. Mark, thank you ever so much. James, speak to you very soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.